0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit bandwidth for security now is provided by aol radio at aol.com slash podcasting this is security now with steve gibson episode 139 for april 9th 2008 network congestion Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway on the web at www.astaro.com and by audible.com. For your free audiobook and a whole lot more, visit audiblepodcasts.com/securitynow and by listeners like you. Thanks for your donations. Time for security now—the podcast that helps you stay safe online—with our security guru, Mister Steve Gibson of GRC.com dot com and Spin Right Fame. Hi,
1: Steve. Yo, Leo. Great to be back with you. We're approaching episode one forty. This is one thirty nine. So
0: and, uh, and Twitter is stalled in the water because I'm in Australia, <laughs> and so you. Win. Oh darn! Oh darn! <laughs> You're pulling ahead now. Yep. Well, good. Yep. I'm glad we could do that. Now, uh, last week we promised we'd talk a little bit about, I guess, net neutrality, and and uh,
1: well, it's sort of, maybe. I mean, that's the only um, common jargon that I know of to to refer to this, but it's sort of really not that, as I understand the net neutrality argument. And you know, I don't have any real interest in the politics. I'm you know, Mr. Technology, much and security more than. Than you know filtering out or giving you know preferential bandwidth to one party or another, but you know I know that the topic has come up. We've talked about how some ISPs are like dropping people's connections. They're they're like you know doing sort of nefarious behind the scenes and initially not admitting to doing so, um, sending spoofed packets at the at the connection endpoints of people, for example, who are doing, you know, using BitTorrent or or downloading massive blobs of data uh, to sort of curtail them from doing that. So I i start, I started doing some analysis and uh ran across much more that was going on in like like in the IETF, in, in the Internet Engineering Task Force, about basically they're they're working on dealing with this huge transformation, which has come about only really in the last few years, as we've moved from using the internet primarily for email and web browsing, and now for you know massive content delivery.
0: Yeah, so and and and, and you know when they say net neutrality, I think the biggest uh, issues with net neutrality are the issues, uh, the political issues involved where. Uh, um, an, an ISP, let's say Comcast, might block Skype traffic not to protect its network, but be, to for anti competitive reasons to protect their voice over internet product. We're not going to talk about that today.
1: No, and in fact, one of the things I saw maybe an, an even more annoying example is this is this idea that an ISP could give preferential treatment to YouTube as a content supplier right. to their customers. Versus some other content supplier that is not paying a premium to to like get you know premium traffic treatment right. um, and that's what really has people upset is like you know because I mean it really then it really does bias the the this notion of you know all the content being treated equally, and I think that's that's that underlies this issue of net neutrality. Uh what we're going to talk about today, of course, is not the politics. I want to really discuss something we've never talked about before, which is what happens when you try to push too much data t- t- uh, t- uh, t- uh, too much data through a narrow pipe. Right. How does the how do the fundamental internet systems, routers and protocols deal with that? Because it turns out it has a real I mean, that's ultimately What's causing the problem is there isn't enough bandwidth. So so people are scrambling around trying to figure out uh oh, you know, what do, you know, how do we react to that?
0: Well good. Well that's good. So we're going to talk about it from an engineering point of view in particular. Right. In uh, just a second and uh, we will cover that topic in, uh, in Steve's usual uh, excellent depth. But before we do that, I I do want to talk about uh, our sponsor audible.com. Audible podcasts dot com slash security now that's the url if you want to sign up for audible there's an advantage to using that url you get a special deal you get a a credit toward a a free book so it's kind of an introductory offer a risk-free introductory offer if you don't enjoy it you could cancel at no cost to you and keep the book but i know you're going to want to stick around and you you were mentioning steve that, that there's a lot of chit chat in your in your security forums about doctor who there's, yes, there's something. Have you ever? I have never seen Doctor Who. Have you ever seen Doctor Who? Uh,
1: there was like old versions, and then there was a new one oh, that I guess came them. out. Yeah, and uh, uh, I, they don't. They just don't grab me, as you mentioned. I think it was on, our, on one of our prior podcasts. Uh, I'm Oh, yeah, it was. It was last week or the week before. I'm really a hard sci-fi guy. And, you know, stuff that's sort of too wacky or goofy, just it doesn't grab me. Well, so
0: I don't know what it is, but, but there are a lot of nerds who like Doctor Who. And I just want to point out, there's plenty of Doctor Who. Uh, I just did a search for Doctor Who and found 81 different Doctor Who titles. Some of them are books, traditional books, read uh, for you, but some of them are, from the BBC, classic Doctor Who episodes. This is The Curse of the Peladon, which I haven't heard in years. You might recognize the classic Lightning Doctor Who theme. What a way to listen to Doctor <laughs> Who. You don't have to just watch it. You can listen. This is two hours long, and there are a bunch of BBC audiobooks of Doctor Who, um, including The Curse of the Peladon. Um, I'm sorry. The monster of Peladon, <laughs> the
1: curse of the intro music.
0: Yeah, you know, there's some people that just get a thrill when they hear that. Uh, uh, you just, I guess, guess it's that to be some... way.
1: I, I'm that way with the Star Trek theme music, right, so exactly. I, I can understand
0: that. the Sea Devils, warriors of the deep. Uh, I, no, there's the curse of the Peladon and the monster of Peladon. I forget, yeah, There's both of those. The war machines. If you're a Doctor Who fan, yes, even Doctor Who fans find a home at Audible.com. These could be your free book if you just uh, if you just sign up at audiblepodcast.com/security now 45,000 titles they play on almost any device do check the device center to make sure they'll play on your device they don't play on Zooms but they do on all the iPods that play on your computer of course you could burn CDs for your car they even play on your Amazon Kindle Steve um, and uh, of course the Sans uh, Sanses from SanDisk all play that's a, that's the, I think that's the number 2 MP3 player they all play um uh, the Audible books. So visit audiblepodcast.com slash security now right now. I think you're going to enjoy what Audible means to you. I'll tell you, it's a, it's a lifesaver to me. And I, I brought, I'm bringing 10 or 11 books to Australia with me. I am, I am prepared. We thank them for their support. com slash security now. Uh, before we, we don't have, we are pre-recording this before I go to Australia. So I don't imagine you have any addenda from the three shows we've already recorded this week.
1: Well, I don't have, unfortunately, any security updates because for the last two weeks we're pre-recorded, and right. so we've been blind to whatever might have happened. And we're now into the beginning of August. Um, I'm sorry, August. The beginning of April. In your dreams. Uh, so we'll 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 be catching up uh, next week with any with any important security news that has occurred since. I had um, uh, one interesting note that I found. Actually, this was email forwarded through. Uh, Sue, my my, um, my operations gal, uh, someone named Dan Linder wrote. It was something that I thought was really just kind of cute. He said, uh, on episode 136, you mentioned some listener feedback pointing you to a Google search for detachable keyring." Remember this was right. some guy who was sort of being a little bit of a smart Aleck and saying, hey Gibson, you know rather than having to true crypt your your thumb drive on your keychain have you ever heard of a detachable key ring uh-huh. anyway, so Dan uh, being a little bit of a bit of a punster says, if you end up splitting your keys up like this, doesn't this become a physical implementation of your public key and private key <laughs> there you go <laughs> it's true. <laughs> It's true that's very funny. So I thought that was great. I wanted to give him some credit for that. And um I did have a, a question came up when I was running through uh, all of our mailbag Uh, from last week in in a a question that a number of our listeners have asked so i wanted to share it and an answer and as it happens this was bundled with his spin right story so i thought i'd incorporate that uh this is just he identifies himself as dave oh no his there's his last name in his gmail uh david uh chrisman Uh, he says hey steve oh and and the subject was a spin right story and a question he says hey steve i wanted to write in to thank you for all the work you've done with both Security Now and Spinrite. I've been listening from the start, and in addition to being very interesting, many of the topics you've covered have greatly helped my understanding in the classes I've taken for Mm. my computer science degree, particularly the series you did early on about basic network technologies. Well, he's going to like today's episode then, too, as well as the discussions in various types of encryption. I just had one question for you, but first, I thought I'd share the story of my personal experience with Spinrite. Last year, given my part-time job for the campus IT department, I came to be known as the guy to go to in my building when someone was having trouble with their computer. Cool. So I wasn't too surprised when one evening someone came to my room asking for help with his girlfriend's machine. I followed him down the hall, and a bunch of their friends were gathered around the room. (laughs) Oh, boy. They they explained (laughs) that the computer was blue-screening on boot, and the girl who owned it was in tears Aww. because she was afraid that she had lost all the things she'd been working on Aww. for her classes. I played around with it for a few minutes, but it didn't take long for me to realize that Spinwright could almost definitely do the job. I told them I'd be back in a few minutes. Unfortunately, being on the budget of a college student, I didn't yet own a copy. After quickly checking to make sure I could afford it, I hopped onto grc dot com. In less than fifteen minutes, I had purchased my copy of Spinrite, burned it onto a CD, and popped the disc into the drive of the offending machine. It's a small that. What is it? Seventy k. It's a very small download. Yeah, it, it pissed me off when it went above sixty four because <laughs> you. <laughs> It used to be 64K a com- folks, not 64 megs. <laughs> it used to be a COM file. Remember the old right. DOS COM? Right. You know, but they executable. had to be under 64K. Exactly, because oh, they they, they fit into a sin, uh, into a signal a single segment of oh, memory. Funny uh, that you were able to address with with 16 bits. Right. So it, it was 16 bit code that fit into 64K, and it was a major. Revamp when it's like oh I can't fit in oh. I have I have to switch to an XE and have multiple segments it's like boy, okay fine boy that's anyway that's so, a long time ago wow <laughs> so he says it ran for about two hours then all of us gathered around the desk to see what would happen when I turned it on of course it booted up it oh, is new I bet you got all, a kiss for that uh we hope. And all the files were recovered. She greatly appreciated the help. And many of the people there asked about this great program I had used. I pointed them all in your direction. So hopefully you sold a few more copies as a result. Or, you know, if not then, then perhaps when any of them have a problem. So he says, so thanks a lot, Steve, for creating such a great compact product, along with a quick and easy system for acquiring it. I know that my story isn't nearly as impressive as many of the others you've gotten, no files worth millions of dollars, and it didn't run for months to do its job, but I just thought I'd share it with you to express my appreciation. Well, I, you know, his story was as great as any that we've received, That's so, so great. thank you for sharing that, David. He All says, right. anyway, here's my question. Do you have any advice— Or book or article recommendations for a newly graduated programmer entering the workforce like me to prevent the code that I write from becoming the cause of the next major PR nightmare security (laughs) vulnerability. (laughs) He says, I realize that it's a bit of a broad question and there may not be much I can do if I end up on a team where my work is only a tiny part of the overall project. But I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts. Again, Steve and Leo, keep up the great work and thanks. Well don't use stir copy. There's number one. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um Yeah, exactly. Um yeah. many people have asked, at it's sort of at a similar stage in their career. Uh, to where Dave is. It's going be scary. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I'm not surprised we've scared people. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm scared when literally, I mean, truly, it's something that everyone who's writing code that's going to be exposed to the net, and almost by definition these days, any code you write is is right. internet exposed. Right. It's got some internet-facing surface. Um, the only thing I could suggest, I don't have any specific books But I do know just sort of from general browsing that this topic has now been around enough and has been getting enough attention that there are – A bunch of books that have been written about you know writing secure software or you know security issues yeah so i i would just say you know go to amazon and you know put you know secure programming techniques or something into amazon and i'll bet you'll find a whole bunch of of you know really interesting and and essentially you know topical books that address you know the same sorts of things we're talking about all the time i saw a good one the other day i
0: think they sent me a copy of it, and I just can't remember the name of it. Yeah, there absolutely are a number of these uh, books, and I think that that this is now that this is such a high priority, there's got to be more and more thinking about this, you know, than simple more more and more than just you know use s t r n copy instead of s t r copy. But but you know, uh, I would yeah, I think you're right. Go 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 online and look because there's going to be a ton of stuff out there.
1: Yeah, I think that I mean I I don't have any specific specific recommendations. I mean, I'm programming in assembly language, so I'm not working with any higher level libraries. I'm being, you know, extremely careful, uh, and that's, you know, the number one thing I think is just be thinking about this, you know, as you know, we've talked about how how the the general role of Programming, especially in a corporate environment or a team environment, where typically you're being pressed to be done, you're you know, software always takes longer than we expect. So there's deadline pressure. People are saying, "Is it done yet? Is it done yet? Are you? You know, will you please please check your code in so we can do a build and we can start testing." Blah blah blah. I mean, all of that works against taking care. I mean, you know, it works against caution. It's it's you know, the focus is getting it done, making it work rather than okay yeah it works but you know what if you know someone wants it not to i mean and and that's really the, the the strange thing about software which i think for many people for many programmers who really love programming it's the it's the thing they enjoy is that there's a there there's a mindset you get which is is trying you know is is a belief that it's that it's correct and it takes a debugger to rub your face around yeah. in the fact that you're wrong that it's not correct it's like you know and, and sometimes you can be staring at your own code and it looks perfect until you step through it with a debugger that says look dummy this is a zero and it's like oh you know what i mean and it's it's it, it, it you have to be shown so clearly where there's a problem and and my point is that that security is is e- an even more subtle kind of bug because it's something you were just not used to seeing. We're not expecting it, and, and it makes it, it makes writing really bulletproof code really difficult. You, you have to look at your own code skeptically and, and really you know, keep in mind – what the, what the challenges are from
0: a security standpoint. It's one of the reasons modern programming languages have built-in testing uh, in a lot of them. So that as you write a module, you test a module, and it's just kind of an automatic process. Right. Anyway, uh, good subject. And boy, if I, I have to say, if I were uh, a kid at, in college studying this stuff, that would be probably job one. You know, you don't want to be that person who's the, who's the one of the headlines. Yeah. Um, shall we uh, get to the topic at hand? Network congestion?
1: Yeah, I, I I touched on it at the end of our episode last week, uh, sort of teasing this episode a little bit. Um, so, okay, here's the issue essentially: when you think about a a network infrastructure which is in place, meaning we've got the last mile connections by cable modem or or, or DSL, then we then those all. To at some level get aggregated to what ISPs calls their aggregation router which which aggregates many of their clients traffic into um, a, a single connection so then there will be an interface that has much larger bandwidth so it's able to carry many of the tributary, Bandwidth feeds and aggregate it into a larger one, and that'll then go typically to an even bigger router that is aggregating the traffic from a, from many of the aggregation routers. And so it sort of it sort of is a is a classic tree structure with many branches per node feeding together into a larger and larger trunk, which ultimately then gets routed to the ISPs. Um, peering partners, and we've talked about peering in the past. We, um, some of our listeners, who, as many listeners write, they've been listening since episode one. They'll remember when, when the uh, my T one provider, Cogent, got into an argument with Level Three, and my you know GRC's networking technology, all of our servers and things are now being hosted in a in a Level Three facility, in in a Level Three data center, and I was unable. Uh, Over my uh, the T ones that serve me personally, I was suddenly one morning unable to reach my servers because Cogent and level three that had this peering agreement got into a dispute and level three stopped peering with Cogent, meaning that literally there were chunks of the Internet that I as a Cogent subscriber could not get to because Because they were over on level three side and level three said, we're not going to we're not going to permit cogent traffic into our borders any longer. So, you know, that lasted, I guess, a few days and they settled their contract dispute. But it was a sort of an interesting wake up call that of of sort of the infrastructure that we all take for granted. Well, okay, so now there's all this equipment in place. There's there's bandwidth and pipes and routers and all that. Now. When you think about data, data sort of being ephemeral, um, there there isn't a difference in infrastructure cost as a function of how much that infrastructure is being used. It's all in place. if it's if no one's using it, it costs just as much as if all the links are saturated. Because you know the 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 bandwidth has to be there in order to carry the maximum traffic that the bandwidth allows. The hardware has to be there in case it's needed to be used. But not running it at a hundred percent doesn't cost less than running it a hundred percent. So so my point is that that there is there is a a fixed cost for the whole capability and. And until you start overusing it, there is no increased cost as you approach that saturation point. For example, these, I mean, even at the higher level, these peering agreements are agreements between, for example, in the case I was just citing, Level 3 and Cogent, where they don't charge each other for traffic transit. They figure, hey, we're getting a reciprocal benefit we're getting a benefit that is balanced in our agreement so you know we're each benefiting equally we're just going to agree to 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 carry each other's traffic and that's the way at these at, at these tier 1 providers that they operate so it it's only down at the retail level where you're negotiating with your provider about you know what kind of maximum bandwidth you're going to have and and what you're going to pay for that well as i was researching sort of the, the, this this general area of network neutrality trying to sort of you know get a sense for what was going on what i discovered was that there is a huge amount of work which is happening in academia and among the you know the gurus that design our protocols that ultimately bubble up into into new protocol support in hardware like in 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 internet routers and in our own pcs that are that are internet hosts able to connect to the internet there there's a a huge amount of work being done, which we're currently unaware of, that is, n- very little of it surfaces. And and it's being driven by the recognition that we're, we're really seeing a, a dramatic transformation in the way the Internet is being used. I think it's pretty clear now that th- the Internet is not a fad. Um, I think know, we can say that. Yeah. <laughs> for a long time, people were oh, they you know, that's just a fad. That's not going to happen. Right. I think Bill Gates was for a while thinking oh, you know, that's just not going to happen. He was he was doing MSN. It was going to be right. his hit. You know, Microsoft was going to compete with CompuServe right. in the dial-up modem pool, which <laughs> is to see you know who can have more dial-up modems. And uh, and then of course Netscape uh, happened and and caught Microsoft. Uh, off guard, and I think it's it's as you say it's pretty much established that the internet is not a fad. Even Bill Gates so, agrees now. I'm sure he does. Yes. Um. So, so what's happened is it's gone from sort of a messaging medium and a a a, a bursting medium. In, in in other words, for example, when you are when you're downloading a web page, you grab the page. As, as our listeners know, the browser looks at the page, which calls out uh, its need for additional resources—images um, I- of all kinds—and and maybe uh, assets from from other sites. And then the browser turns around and gets those. So there's sort of a, a, an event of loading the page, and then it comes in, and we stare at it for a while, and decide where we want to go from there. So, so what's what, th- this transformation is? You know, in in many different stages, for example, you and I, Leo, right now are communicating through a VOIP application, Skype, that we use over the Internet and able to achieve, since it's being recorded at your end, you know, are the the people listening to the podcast are listening to me at the other end of an Internet connection. Mm-hmm. And so so now there's a persistent connection. We are very sensitive To the amount of bandwidth we have. We're very sensitive to the the percentage of dropped packets that we have and to packet delay, which is known as jitter in the arrival time of the packets, because if jitter were too great, bandwidth were too low, um, too much um, packet loss was occurring. My voice wouldn't sound nearly as good as it does. Well, and we've heard uh, that actually, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so You'll I mean, hear it, that on it happens shows from time it to time. Ha- exactly. Yeah. Um, um. Similarly, you know, I was I was asking my sister uh, a couple of months ago. I guess I was up uh, in Northern California during Christmas, and I was sort of saying, "So you know, I, I have a niece and nephew who are in high school and college." And I said, "Nan, what um, you know, what TV do they watch?" And my sister said, "Oh, TV. They don't watch TV. Oh, that's great. They they watch everything. No, no, they they watch everything on their laptops. Yeah, yeah. Same with and my so, kids. Yeah. And I guess that's the new model mm-hmm. is is you're using BitTorrent to download shows, or you're just you know hanging out in YouTube. And and you know we've we've talked about how there are companies that are deliberately blocking ac- their employees access to YouTube during the day after doing studies showing." how large a productivity drain YouTube is because people are just wanting to sit there and click on this, you know, these amazing videos, which are popping up all the time. Mm -hmm. So, so the, so essentially what, what's happened is this, this, the, the newer content applications have put a huge drain, a huge load on the existing infrastructure. Now, you know, ISPs are happy to charge what they can for this additional bandwidth. I mean, it used to be that a modem, you, you could actually, you know, use the original Internet over a modem. Um, you know the pages came in a little slowly, but they 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 loaded, and you know they weren 't nearly as big as they are now the, the You certainly didn 't have all this flash and animation stuff jumping around b- b- um, burning up bandwidth on every single page so there was there was much less bandwidth demand, but certainly email was entirely practical over a modem. Well, you know, nowadays you can't take advantage of any of this next generation technology without having substantially more bandwidth. And of course, you know, people are noticing that they're having to pay for that. Well, so we sort of laid the foundation that that as long as the network is not overused, that is, it, it does not become congested um, there isn't any problem with using it all the way up to its limit. What happens, though, when we go beyond that, when we push beyond that? The, the whole Internet, the, the, the genius of the design of the Internet is, is the fact that the designers realized you could have a workable system which simply operated on a best effort delivery Principle, that is to say, my computer puts a packet of data onto the internet, and so so everything is packetized. Um, it puts a packet of data on the internet that's got a destination IP, and that goes to my router that probably translates the IP from my public IP to my to to I mean from my private IP to uh, my public IP, and then. Um, puts that out on my ISP's wire that goes to the the closest router which which picks it up and and sends it on. We've talked about how routing works, how at at, at every one of these hops, routers have routing tables uh, and multiple interfaces and all these routers are richly connected in a, in a large network to each other so that there isn't just one route there. There's an optimal route, but you may have backup routes and um, um an alternative means for getting the, the data from one point to another, um, which provides a great deal of resilience to the whole network. So, so Individual packets are coming into routers interfaces, and then the router um, examines the packet and then sends it out another interface. Well, we also talked about how routers aggregate inherently. Routers have lots of interfaces, and and um, and are accepting packets on any of them and routing them out of any. Well, it's possible for a router at any stage in this process to be receiving too much incoming bandwidth for it to send that the, the totality of the incoming bandwidth for, for it to fit out the bandwidth that it's, that it's trying to get out of. So it's because you've got multiple interfaces, you might have a, a, just an overabundance of packets that are arriving through different incoming interfaces that that coincidentally at this point in time you know a busy time in the evening or lunchtime for example um, the, the router just gets overloaded just because of the fact that it's got multiple connections it, it might be that that the sum of the bandwidth of the packets that are trying to all go out of one particular interface won't fit. Well, the first thing, the first solution is there are buffers. So all routers have buffers on their interfaces, so that the packets are put on the front end of the buffer, um, and then um, the buffer empties out of the interface. Well, that helps. Little bits of burstiness that is you would you'd certainly want some buffer so that if if like three packets all arrived on different interfaces at the same time bound for a fourth one you know they wouldn't all just instantly collide they'd be able to line up in the order that they received and and get their way out but you could still over a larger slightly larger period of time you could have a situation where the the persistent bandwidth that is being demanded on the outgoing interface is just not sufficient to carry all the packets that are arriving. So the router, all internet routers have the right to simply discard packets. They just drop them. And they, they they will they will there are various strategies that have been devised for like looking at the packets that are already in the buffer and and trying to drop packets that are part of 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 recognized flows as they're called a a, a flow being a connection between one one source IP and one destination IP so there are various strategies that router uses but ultimately a router whose whose outbound buffer is full, has no choice but to discard a packet. Well, and, and, and this is why we call it best effort delivery, because essentially some host computer somewhere has been putting packets onto the Internet and, and trusting that they're going to get to their destination. Well, we've talked about how TCP um, is a, a reliable delivery protocol what that, what that means is that one way or another, the TCP protocol will accept responsibility for, for getting all the packets through that that the sending computer wants to. It may, they may be a little delayed, they may be slowed down, but TCP, the TCP protocol, is responsible for, for getting that message through. What happens is that when the packets finally arrive at their endpoint IP, at their final destination, the, um, the receiving TCP IP protocol sends back acknowledgements. And what it does is it looks at all the packets that it has received so far and the bytes in TCP packets are numbered sequentially uh in order to solve the problem of of packets arriving out of order which can also happen on the internet we talked about how there are different um different routes that packets could take and routers will sometimes um send packets that are um that are bound normally for a congested link they may send it out an alternative route which could be faster which meant that a packet arriving later at a, at a given router, ends up arriving sooner at its final destination. So, so packets have um, sequence numbers um, that they carry that allow the the final recipient to to put them back into order. Once it's done that, it looks at the highest numbered byte that it has received so far, and periodically sends back an acknowledgement to the sender saying, I've received every single packet you've ever sent me in this connection up until this packet carrying this byte number. So basically, that acknowledgement says everything up until now I've received. So what what this simple solution does is it means that if somewhere along the way, anywhere between the sender and the recipient, a router is overloaded and unable to deliver a packet, it'll simply drop it. All routers have the have, have permission, and when you think about it, they have no choice. I mean, they've only got a finite amount of buffer space. So they end up just saying, fine. I, there's no way I can store one more packet in this in this buffer for you know. Try, everybody's trying to get out of this one popular interface right now. I have no choice but to just say sorry, and so it drops it. It the router has no obligation to notify anybody, and and this is again part of the brilliance of the designers because they recognized that. That telling that relying on routers that were congested to send some sort of help I'm buried underwater message well that would just increase the congestion even though it might be in a different direction I mean it it's it's essentially you know the goal is to minimize congestion so generating packets that are that are warning of congestion doesn't make a lot of sense so routers simply discard packets whenever they need to what happens on the on the sending end is it's the the sender is receiving these acknowledgments of say, from 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 the far end which is saying i've received everything up until here i rece- oh now i've received everything up until here well what happens is if if acknowledgments don't come in in a timely fashion the sender using some timeouts which are cleverly designed to be adaptive and to just like do the right thing in in the vast majority of cases, the sender says, okay, there must have been a loss at some point. Because remember that the the recipient might have received packets after the one that was lost because um it's because the the sender could be sending packets ahead of the receipt of acknowledgment in fact that that is what the way tcp operates in order for it to operate efficiently it has the it has permission to send packets ahead assuming that the acknowledgments will be delayed so when an acknowledgment that it's expecting doesn't arrive it starts resending it backs up and starts resending packets from the From the point of its last acknowledgement, assuming that nothing since then has has been received by the recipient. Well, the other thing it does, because it assumes if a packet was dropped, it was due to congestion at some part part along the way. The other thing it does is it drops its speed in half. Ah, Boy, and therein lies the tale. Well, exactly. What happens is so it drops its speed in half in response to uh, what it assumes is congestion and and then over time slowly ramps it back up again. So it's all TCP connections do this. This is the way TCP works. So everybody on the Internet is is slowly increasing their transmission speed speed until they start seeing packets dropped which they sense because the far end has stopped acknowledging the continual flow the receipt of a continual flow of packets so as soon as they st- as soon as they they lose an acknowledgment they cut their speed in half and start speeding up again then Cut in half and start speeding up again, and cut in half and start speeding up. So it's sort of a the 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 waveform is a sawtooth because it's slowly increasing, then drops in half, slowly increasing and drops in half. What what this does is it is generally what it means is the TCP is seeking the optimal transmission rate for the prevailing conditions from endpoint to endpoint, so that so that any point among all these routers, any number of routers at a completely non-deterministic path, we don't have any idea what path the packets are taking to get there. We just drop them on the net and cross our fingers, and when we get an acknowledgement back, we know that, oh, everything that I've sent up until this point has been received. So so what this means is, it means a couple things. It means that that all TCP connections are treated individually. So my connection from my browser to a remote server is is treated in exactly the same way as somebody else's connection. Because routers drop packets randomly, they basically just say well i i would love to hold on to this packet but my my outgoing buffer is full on this interface i have nowhere to put it i got to drop it so they drop them randomly what that means is that that just statistically all of the packet flows that are moving through a router for example towards a destination server they're going to generally get equal treatment because the router doesn't love any one flow more than another. It just it would happily route all the packets it was receiving if it could. but gee, there's just not enough bandwidth on the link that that, that the incoming packets are all trying to use, so it's got to throw some away. Well, a number of things have resulted from as as a consequence of this sort of equal treatment of flows. What it means is that all of the connections that are trying to use a given pinch point, a given congested interface, because of the random dropping of their packets, all of the connections share equally in the available bandwidth at that point. But that means that if somebody were to open more than one connection through the same two points they would get an a larger share of that total congested bandwidth thus parallel file downloaders which open multiple connections mm-hmm. i actually downloaded an updated copy of corel draw the other day and i was sort of curious uh, it was downloading, and i had been doing all this research. So I fired up Netstat in a DOS box, and sure enough, there were four established connections between my computer and Corel's server, and I, it was using Corel's own file downloading system. So what this what this meant was that that it, if there's no congestion anywhere, these these parallel connections don't really help because oh, that's because, because i'm not getting any more bandwidth i'm not you know it it's it's their server well it doesn't or, help
0: in your case cuz your bandwidth probably exceeds any server you're going to
1: um well it's i, I guess my point is oh, that oh actually should that's
0: that's when it should help when you have more bandwidth than they do
1: um, well, one connection, because of what TCP is doing, where where TCP is ramping up, trying to you know running as fast as it possibly right. can, it would be, for example, in my, if I were using a cable modem, it would be my cable modem's upstream bandwidth, or rather downstream, downstream bandwidth yeah. uh, as I'm downloading it. That would be the limiting factor. Because so so Corel's server would end up. Um, finding my maximum bandwidth point because the router trying to squeeze packets to me over my cable modem connection, it would have to stop dropping them. It would have to start dropping packets coming from Corel when Corel's TCP endpoint was sending them too fast. So it would be slowing Corel down, but one TCP connection would end up maximizing our connectivity, in huh. so long as there is no competition at, at a congestion point.
0: Well, but it's, you know, maybe it's designed to get around downloading sites that have a limit per connection. I think a number of sites will do that. They'll say no connection may have more than 500 kilobits. So by opening multiple connections, you could be getting around that.
1: Yes, you would, you would certainly be doing that. And I think that's the intent. And well and and the the other thing happening is uh, I- exactly as we were saying given that routers that that are congested themselves as opposed to the transmitting site um well okay a, a perfect example is um is is any sort of peer to peer program where you've got clients which are sending as fast as they can and recipients that are receiving as fast as they can there's no throttling going on there everyone is trying to move these you know large movie files and 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 TV program files or music files whatever they are they're trying to you know move them around as fast as they can so so in the event of multiple connections um going through a single congestion point and that might well be your own i you know a router very close to you your own isp router so for example you know i'm using a parallel downloader and my neighbor that's on the same network segment as me um, is just using his browser well because i've got all these multiple connections open um if the congestion point is my isp's router which it probably is in that in that situation then then i'm getting an unfair share well i'm getting i don't know if, i guess uh you know fairness is a value it is, is a value judgment i but i am getting a larger proportion of the of the bandwidth through the router because all of my connections are being treated individually rather than in any kind of aggregate and so so all of mine are sharing with the the, the, with the total number of connections that are running through the router because packets are just being dropped at random and and tcp um protocol that, that is running across this is having to do the best job it can of maximizing its rate of flow okay so so Okay, so what this means is, this means that, that the, there is no cost to the network until we start having congestion. And that it is, it is congestion at routers which begins to create some cost as we are trying to push the network beyond its capacity. And so the position that is being taken by the guys that are designing these next level protocols, they're they're recognizing that that people who are opening lots of lots of connections and who have them open for a long period of time, those in in this in this model of thinking about the use of the Internet, they're recognizing that 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 like it's almost as if you were to count the number of of dropped packets that result from someone's someone's use of the net not your own dropped packets but you know your use is causing congestion which is causing everybody else to to cause to to have packet loss and it's not just instantaneous loss it's the it's the sum of lost packets over time. And 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 so th- there are there they're looking at ways to to create some means for accountability. And I mean it's a hard problem because there's no way for routers that are just sort of these autonomous, you know, packet moving boxes, there's no way for routers to know anything about their users the ultimate sources and destinations there's no way for them to to maintain any kind of history and an individual end user who for example who's using a a peer-to-peer file sharing system they've got connections branching out from them in you know all kinds of different directions going to different people meaning that they're going over different routing paths so so the only the 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 only solution that people have come up with is you know some sort of some sort of system which looks at the the current use and the history of use of of individual users and and begins to hold people accountable for their their aggregate use of bandwidth over time and 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 one interesting thing is that People have noted that, for example, if say that my ISP's routers are super congested because there's a whole bunch of people using the system who are you know, downloading large files for a long period of time. Now, I come along and I want to look at a web page. Well, it, it's aggravating to me if it takes a long time for me to bring the page up and to download the page's images because my ISP is so busy and the ISP is so busy because we got all these other customers of the ISP downloading huge files over the course of many hours you know during this window of time when i just want to look at a web page the point is that that i'm i'm suffering because i want to bring up a page but my Bandwidth requirement for the page is the same if it takes me a minute to finally get the page loaded, or if I can bring the page up much faster. Because you know, um, um, largely, I'm going to now sit there and look at the page and then decide what I want to do next. So there, there's this notion of 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 looking at you end users' usage of bandwidth over some period of time and, and changing the priority of their packet handling dynamically so that a user like myself that isn't downloading big files, but just wants snappy use of the internet to do a little Wikipedia research or or, or to go find something on Google, you know, looks at a few pages. It would be nice if I could click the links and have the pages snap up quickly And, you know, and I'm going to be using the same amount of bandwidth, but the profile of use is different. That is, you know, I'd like the the amount of bandwidth I'm using to come in in three seconds rather than 30 seconds, because that means that my experience is much better. And there's one other aspect of this that affects this conversation. And that is, as packets are buffered more their delay increases because then you have packet delay caused by by buffers which are full and that begins to affect real time services like voice over ip so so again we we want to minimize congestion we want to hopefully not overflow buffers but what's even better is if we can keep the buffers from becoming too deep because that way we're getting timely transmission of packets across the internet and not having lots of jitter in addition to lots of lost packets Hmm. well it's
0: it's all very exciting if it works
1: (laughs) well and and the problem is i mean it's it's if you think the 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 surface politics of this are hairy you wouldn't believe the the fighting that is going on in the technical committees because there are people who talk about uh, flow rates, and people, and there, then there are people who talk about fair use, and there are people saying, "Well, wait a minute, you know, what do we mean by fair?" And you know, what is it that people are buying? And and end users don't want variable pricing; they want fixed pricing. You know, they want to be able to say, "Look, you know, I want to know what it's going to cost me per month," and I don't know. I want to know what I'm going to get in return, because of course, lots of users are wondering whether they're really. Uh, purchase whether they're really obtaining the bandwidth that they're purchasing and it's clear that isps we mean you know essentially we're going to have to have an evolution so one way or another into a different sort of model where there is some sort of uh, some sort of accountability so that isps are able to prevent their networks from being overused at the same time allow them to be fully used because certainly from from a from an economic standpoint a fully used network benefits everybody the isps costs are the same if it's fully used or half used the the end users are happier if they're part of a an efficient network which is being fully used, because that means that they're mean again from a theoretical economic standpoint, their cost is minimized because because the ISP is not having to charge them for a network which is not fully used. So so what's going to end up happening is is a is a change in the ISP's um, customer facing. Contracts and relationship, where what what you're buying is a and a best effort delivery and availability. Where people who are moving huge files may have that that their their moving of huge files take longer, but the but the there'll be a protocol in place so that people who are paying the same fixed price. But not you. Not taking, um, uh, uh, moving huge amounts of bandwidth over time, will find that the network is always extremely snappy and responsive because there. Th- because this notion of of congestion of the of the network from point to point will will have been worked out so that so that the users of huge Payload, large bandwidth will end up having themselves throttled so that the network ends up getting used but not overused. Is it possible to do some sort of just in time solution
0: for bandwidth? I mean, I I know that uh, streaming providers uh, have this kind of setup where, you know, when you need it, the bandwidth can kick in and you don't pay for it until you need it. Why don't ISPs do something like that?
1: Well, um, you know, at some level, You know that's going on for example my relationship with with level 3 i've got what's called a 95 5 billing i actually have a hundred megabit connection between the level 3 aggregation router and my equipment i'm paying for 15 megabits what what they call 15 megabit commit um i can i'm burstable up to a 100 megs so for example when when i'm transferring a file from your server to mine leo wh- when i'm grabbing the 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 security now podcast it's 25 megabits that wow. i see and it's a short burst i got the file and it's like hey that's really cool i'm not sitting around watching the little bar you know the meter right. bar slowly crawl along i'm able to go get the next one so it's a little bit of a burst but I am I am paying level three at the rate as if I were using 15 megabits 24 seven. Although frankly, GRC's usage is more like three or four. Right. Right. But but 15 is the minimum that level three will sell because they're not wanting to do um, you know uh, to have lots of relationships with with, with you know small guys. They're, they're wanting to to keep their contracts at a higher level. There are level three resellers who uh, like I, and I could have gone with a reseller and been able to purchase a much smaller chunk of bandwidth but I just didn't want a middleman in between me and level 3 and you know I'd be glad for that yeah
0: I'm I'm trying and, to think what we have I think our Twitch servers are 100 megabit yeah 100 megabit uplink speed but I don't know what the uh, I don't know what that means in terms of day to day but they well, and, they uh, they, they, uh, they pace it figuring you're not going to use it all the time I mean, that's what's always happened. It happened with modem pools. You'd have five users per modem figuring they're not all going to use it at the same
1: time. Well, and that's a classic example. Remember, uh, and I think I mentioned this last week, if we know of our phone system, that if everyone goes off hook at the same time, the system collapses. Right. You know, it, it's designed for typical use, but it's it in no way does it have the switching capacity to allow all of its subscribers to be talking at the same time. You you just don't get a dial tone when you go off hook. So you you and, you, you would overbuild, but you just don't want to overbuild too much.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It, and I, I imagine there's quite a bit of theory in how much you overbuild and, and uh, how you know. I mean, and and I guess that's the point. Is a lot of that theory's out the window now that we're doing so much more online, right? And
1: and the real problem is none of the technology we have today solves this problem. Even uh, fiber. No, no. I mean, I mean, the, switcher the, the, switcher the, technology. The, the 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 well the 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 hardware and the protocol you know we've got i mean i'm now running xp and uh aren't aren't you you modern (laughs) with the oh baby and and, you know with the -the state-of-the-art tcp ip stack and there is there's no technology in here um today in in our machines to to begin to deal with this next generation problem of of You know, how people who want to use a little bit of bandwidth but would like it to be snappy, how we coexist with people who are who are, you know, saying, Hey, I bought a cable modem and I have a forty nine dollar a month contract that says Unlimited baby. I'm unlimited baby and it's a megabit, I want to use it all.
0: And and we we just bought a T one from COVAD for three hundred and seventy nine dollars a month. It's only one point five megabits up and down but you i presume that your reason you're paying all that extra money is because first of all you have a lot of upstream but also it's kind of guaranteed it's low latency right i mean
1: oh actually i'm glad you i'm glad you you've done that yes um uh, yeah you you've bought a full t1 which is 1.54 megabits in both you know symmetric both right. ways and and assuming that COVAT is a good supplier and and they are good um you you know th- their infrastructure will allow you to move all of that 1.54 megabits 24 hours a day Well, in fact that you know T1s used to be voice links they right. were t- they carried 24 64 kilobit voice channels on a on 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 a single T1 and i mean and you know many people use them for for a long time you know that's that's wh- like corporations wouldn't wouldn't have 24 Pairs of copper coming in, they'd have one T right, one, right. and then they would have a, a, a multiplexer that, that would turn that into individual uh, voice channels inside their their corporate facility. I'm just buying it on faith. Although I have to say,
0: 379 bucks is a lot cheaper than they used to be. They used to be 1,500 bucks.
1: Oh, I I had a pair when they were 1,500 bucks, yeah. and you know I'm I'm glad now that I'm at level three and and paying you know less than that for my whole lash up. So yeah. yes, yeah. certainly prices have come down. Um, the problem is that. What's happened in the last couple of years with this explosion in bandwidth that it has caught well essentially it's caught our protocols and our hardware off guard, and you know unfortunately, we've seen some first reactions from ISPs saying well we're just gonna we're just gonna kick these connections which are using too much bandwidth and and the reason they're doing it, Leo is they don't have any other technology they would love to somehow. Throttle these these flows if they had the capability to do it. But there isn't the technology in the system I described there. There isn't the technology to do that. So what they end up doing is spoofing packets and just shutting down users, which really upsets the people who are saying, wait a minute, yeah. I'm paying I this. I, I'm, yeah, you yeah. said forty nine ninety five and unlimited yeah. bandwidth. Well, I'm trying to use my <laughs> unlimited bandwidth and you're saying, oh, uh, no. We don't, you know, we're we're we're, we're going to send out dummy packets in order to shut your links down.
0: Yeah, the specific uh, technology Comcast uses is called Sandvine, which is a Canadian company. I think I think most ISPs use this Sandvine thing, and that's exactly what it does. It just turns off the peers. It sends a message saying, "Yeah, we're done. You're done. We don't we don't have anything more to offer." Yep, just cuts them off. Um, and I guess I understand that. Aren't there aren't there? I guess you've just re- explained why there aren't uh, systems. Like squid and so forth that would allow you to kind of throttle stuff down
1: um yes, certainly there th- there are approaches where you could put t- some technology near the end user. you need to put it essentially at the uh, other end yeah. of the connection right because if, if you, you go and throttle further, everybody yeah well ex- well and but more than that, you want to see all of that end user's traffic right if if you put it too far away or like at your border it'd be much more difficult in order to you know you you'd have to aggregate all of the traffic information from a single user right. in, into one point in order to know what they were doing right. but but it's certainly the case that for example um if you if you could aggregate all of the traffic that an individual user was transiting then you know you could drop packets simulating router congestion before that congestion occurred and 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 essentially throttle that user's traffic in a way that's not causing your network trouble and is not just simply um, dropping the connection and, and causing that that problem. But that's expensive technology, right, and, right. and the ISPs are trying to avoid deploying it. It's easier for them just to see the connection and, and have a, a router or a firewall um, or a traffic filter pattern match and go, oh, let's send this packet out. That'll take care of the problem. And boof, sure enough, it, that
0: traffic is gone now. I have a good friend who runs a local ISP, SonicNet, here, which is a very good. He's been past president of the California Independent ISPs Association, really smart guy. I should get him on sometime and talk about what what they do as an independent ISP. Uh, he's very forward thinking, uh, and I'm sure is very you know. I mean, you've got to be a little sympathetic if you understand this for companies like Comcast. They're trying to ensure that the the majority of users get what they expect, which is as you said, that snappy occasional service. Right. Yeah. It's a difficult uh, thing. I mean. I uh, I wish they'd spent a little more. Maybe if they spent a little more in infrastructure they wouldn't have to be so draconian in shutting people down. I don't know.
1: Well, and I guess also I think that the, you know, the the stigma of of peer-to-peer systems, the fact that, you know, people are are downloading television shows and movies. I mean, it do, it doesn't help the effort any that that the ISP is able to say, well, this is, you know, copyright violating traffic anyway. Yeah. It's like, well, yes, but net neutrality. It's not says, necessarily
0: though. That's the point.
1: That's very true. I mean, for example, someone downloading who wants to download all past hundred and thirty-eight um, of our podcasts—that's legal. You know, they have every right to do yeah. so. Just click a bunch of links, baby, and and start sucking that down. One hundred percent legal. Yet it's going to use up a lot of bandwidth. A lot of Linux is distributed over BitTorrent, uh, right? Doesn't you know?
0: You can't make the assumption that it's an illegal. That I hope they're not doing it for that reason. Although, remember, companies, unfortunately, these are big media companies as well as Internet service providers. So they do, in fact, have a dog in that hunt. They have some interest in in shutting you down. That's what we talked about at the very beginning. Some of this may be political. Some of it may be anti-competitive. Only some of it is
1: technical. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and the fact is, you know, um, as I mentioned, I think it was two weeks ago when I turned on my my Mac, we were talking about security problems. I downloaded a 50 meg blob OS X replacement and a 39 blob new Safari. <laughs> right. You know, and the, That's you know, a lot to- of bandwidth. Yeah, two big chunks of code, yeah. and you know, but it's not because I'm doing anything wrong. It's because, no. you know, Apple wants to send me a new copy of the OS. Hey, Microsoft week just pushed or, out week or two. SP1 for Vista.
0: That means there are 150 million people downloading 150 megabytes each. Do the okay. math. There's a lot of traffic. <laughs> yep, That's a lot. of, And all and pretty much all at the same
1: time. And important, because if they don't get that, they've That's got, right. you know, security nightmares. That's right. That's right
0: what about, uh, one more question, then we'll, we'll move on. What about, Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to ask you about fiber and how that might change uh, this uh, equation in a second. But first, I, I should mention Astaro.com, our great sponsor. Astaro makes the Astaro Security Gateway. You know about that by now. It is a device that is going to be your number one go-to piece of hardware in your enterprise, the combining the best in breed in open source and closed uh, commercial software that covers Every bit of security. I mean, of course, you get what you, you know, the firewall, the remote access, you get the intrusion protection, you get the filtering, three kinds of antivirus, two for email, one for the web, Um, automatically updated every minute of the day with a star up to date. This is a great technology that makes sure you're never behind on your updates. And because it's all happening in the gateway, uh, it's easy. It's transparent to your end users. They're not running. You know, we used to have to run anti-viruses on our local machine. Are, if you want encryption, it would be on your local machine. I mean, you don't have to do it anymore because of a thing, Astaro Security Gateway. It just does it all. And now with their new web gateway, Astaro really, they just announced this at the RSA conference, they're really taking the lead in UTM devices. Just great stuff for any size enterprise. In fact, you can, uh, using their active-active clustering, you can combine up to 10 security gateways uh, to, to really grow with your enterprise. You want to find out more? It's easy. You can get a demo unit free in your business. 877, the number 4, a s t a r o 877 427 8276. If you're a non-commercial user, you can download it free online at staro.com/security now. in fact, there's a great virtual machine available from VMware that's the entire security security gateway. A lot of people are using that. But if you're if your business test the box. Because the box is so great. ASTARO.com. And if you're a Cisco PIX user and you're about to get your end of life notice, they've got a discount for you. ASTARO. Security Gateways. If you've got a business to protect, you need ASTARO. ASTARO.com. We thank them for their support. So one last question before we wrap this up. I just I find this fascinating because we're all dealing with it. I mean, there's there's times I'll get online and it's slow and it's a beast. And I don't know if I'm mad at my neighbor who's downloading, you know, all the versions of the Terminator movie or if, uh, you know, it's just that there's too many of us. Well, how does things out of something like all that dark fiber that's supposed to be out there? How how would that help? Wouldn't that make bandwidth kind of free and and plentiful?
1: well um okay a couple things there there there's a dark fiber which is um is you know linking internet essentially internet backbone uh, which was overbuilt during the whole dot com boom right and then there's this notion of fios um, where fiber will be coming to the, the so the, yeah. the last mile yeah. yeah I mean you know into people's houses and I mean the idea of end users being fiber connected. (laughs) I mean, it just makes my eyes cross. (laughs) I mean, in terms of in terms of the 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 impact on the Internet backbone and infrastructure, um, you know, I'm sure as as a you know, our listeners have been around since pre Internet, likely um, many of them. Yeah. Um, And I remember that there is a change of behavior when you're When your own last mile bandwidth changes, that is, you know, I was using, as you were, Leo, for a long time, a modem in order to connect to the net. And then when I got my T1s or or like uh, certainly when most people switch from a modem to a um, a broadband connection to a um, either DSL, high speed DSL or cable modem, it's like, whoa just think of all the stuff i can get now i mean so so there (laughs) you do you start downloading stuff you know what i mean yes there is there is behavior elasticity in 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 the, the the type of connection you have and how you know how feasible it is for you to do certain things on the net and so i mean i i what that means to me is that you know People who have fiber are going to be much more inclined to grab big chunks of stuff because now they can so much more easily. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, we, 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 we need some, some solution to this problem of, of the um, individual users um, getting a disproportionate use of limited resources. Is, is what it really comes down to. So either you make the resources unlimited or you come up with a means for explaining to people that, look, you know, you can download movies, but your traffic, which we're now going to be able to recognize as such, is going to have a lower priority on our system than than everybody else that just wants their Web pages to come up snappy. Yeah, and and yeah. we we don't we're you know we're not there yet but ultimately that's what it's going to take yeah
0: well you know i'm a, i'm very interested to see how this t1 changes uh our experience as uh skype users i've been you have a t1 obviously you're using it's it, you you always sound the best of all of the skype uh participants here i have been using a shared dsl i mean i'm you know my my d it's business class dsl and it's it's 384 up but uh but it's sharing it with my internet access and everything. And every once in a while, it'll degrade as my email client starts to download stuff. It'll be very interesting. I'm going to dedicate that T1 uh, ultimately to streaming video. But but next time we do the show, next week, I will have a T1 in here. And uh, we will see if it sounds any better. I think we're at max anyway, aren't we? I don't think it's going to sound any better.
1: Um, it probably won't. But I would imagine... Well, first of all, DSL is, is going to give you a good connection so long as it's being fed with you know sufficient bandwidth and lack of congestion right. at the uh, at the other end right um i would guess that the the big, you know Having a T1 connection, you're just at a higher class of service. I'm a higher
0: you're, class.
1: Yeah, you're higher class, Leo. <laughs> you're going into a bigger router. Yeah. That is that is probably serving T1s. The the router it is inher- it's an
0: EdgeMark uh, router for T1s. yep. Yep.
1: yep. So so it's going to have enough upstream bandwidth to deal with all the T1s total aggregate bandwidth, which means you're not going to have any problems there. Um, and then and then I would imagine it'll be a short hop, so to speak. Uh, till you're on the internet backbone and and over to me. It'll be interesting to see, you know, right now, um, uh, I remember when we've done packet traces, um, my traffic goes right up to san francisco and then over to you it's it's funny due to the cogent level three connection my traffic goes up to san francisco and then back down to southern california when i (laughs) well i have
0: dsl extreme and, and they are a southern california company i don't know if they're peering with cogent in la or or what's going on there but
1: yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um but but you're switching over to Covad yeah. um that is a different outfit and right. uh I imagine we'll have just, you know, absolutely pristine connections. Be nice? And and you'll be able to do other stuff at the same time. We'll all have a different connection for that exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so it won't interfere with our with,
0: with our audio connection. Been, I shut down everything, you know, so that we so I don't, uh, you know, interfere with it, but uh Yep. I still surf. I'm still looking at the web and I'm still taking notes and so forth, and so there is some usage. You know, I just for people who who use uh Skype just to uh, fill you in, uh, Steve and I uh, run the diagnostics as we go and and uh it's it, you've never seen more than 6 6 uh, on under the bandwidth monitor uh 6250 f- that for the audio out, right? Right, that's as high
1: as it will go. It'll that's use 6250 uh, 6250 bits
0: per second is that what that is or kilobit I don't even know what it is.
1: I would think that's probably 6 6250 um Packets? bits per second. So no, bits per second. So okay. 6.25 kilobits, which isn't that much really. No, cuz it's it's doing compression and it's doing, you know, a good job. We also look at jitter, uh which is
0: 20 right now. It's as low as I've ever seen it. Round trip time is 30 milliseconds. So this is probably as good as you're going to get on a Skype connection. No problem. I think it's a, a, it's
1: as good as it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. I mean, Leo. I mean, it's, you couldn't ask for better connection, it's pretty I mean, amazing. better sound. It's way better than a telephone. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah,
0: Steve. Always a pleasure to uh, talk to you. This has been very interesting, and it's, it's, it, it's. It, I think very important to understand how this works. You know, sometimes uh, when I, we talk about streaming uh, internet radio or streaming video, as we're about to do, that's really why I bought the T one is for streaming video. Um, I have to explain to. Broadcasters, it's a very different model. Just as you were talking about, it's virtually free to as a broadcaster. Once you put up the tower and the transmitter, it doesn't matter how many people listen. A million people is no cost you no more than a, a hundred thousand. But it's exact opposite business model for for, uh, for data. Uh, you know, you, that's data is the more people listen, the
1: more data costs. But as you point out, the cost doesn't get great until it's congested. Exactly. If you've got the network there, there's, you know, the, the, the routers don't care whether they're limping along doing a few packets or whether they're saturated. I mean, and neither do your network links, all of those, you know, it's capacity. And once you've established it, whether you're using it fully or not, the cost is the same until, until you start overflowing. Then, then, then you're essentially pushing cost back onto your customers because they're not getting what they're paying for. Right. It's very. It is. It's. It's a hybrid model because it's like the
0: broadcast model until it breaks down, and then it becomes more like a, a magazine model or some you know some other paper, just paper uh, download model. Right. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much uh, for your time, Steve. I'm going uh, I'm in Australia as this airs, but I will be back next week. We will be on the T1. They say they're going to install it uh, on April 14th. So cool. Um, cool. We should. It'll be very interesting to hear if it sounds any better at all. I bet it
1: doesn't. I think it'll just sound it'll be consistently better. We <laughs> right. won't have any of those little occasional, no, no, no. you know, Burbles. blurches and yeah. drops outs and things. Yep. Right. And we'll be doing our 39th Q&A for episode 140, uh, which our listeners will hear one week from now. And we'll be uh, going from there. Visit Steve's site, GRC.com.
0: He's got 16 kilobit versions of this for those of you suffering from congestion or, or just dial up. He also has transcripts so you can read along as you listen. I think that's often very helpful on this show. There's a lot of information packed in there. And uh, notes, other great programs, software like Shields Up, Shoot the Messenger, Decombobulator, Unplug and Pray, Wismo, Uh, and, of course, the most famous, Spinrite, the ultimate disc maintenance and recovery utility, a must-have for anybody. If you've got disc drives you need, Spinrite. GRC.com.
1: It's probably worth mentioning, too, uh, that listeners can send their feedback and questions oh yes, and, for and thoughts and, and even show suggestions uh, to me at grc.com slash feedback. And also uh, one of the other benefits of the transcripts that Elaine does of every episode is once Google has found them, which it tends to find pretty quickly because the site's well indexed by Google – um, you can then search all of the, the textual transcripts for you know keywords in order to find podcasts that you you know that are topical or uh, you remember us talking about something but can't remember which one it was. So uh, we've got site wide search also in the GRC menu now. Very cool. I love that. All right, Steve. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. I'll see you next week when I'm back
0: from Australia for Security Now. Security Now.